Welcome to In Conversation, the podcast that fuels your entrepreneur spirit. Brought to you by Inhomoko. We deliver thought-provoking conversations with industry leaders, game changers, and unsung heroes, all making an impact in their communities and shaping the future of business. Let's grow together and transform the world, one business at a time. Hello, Isabel. Um, my name is Hashela Kimana. I'm the Rwanda Program Manager at Inhomoko, and it's a great pleasure to host you on this In Conversation, Inhomoko podcast. Please feel free to introduce yourself. Thank you, Hashel. Thank you for having me. It's really my pleasure to be part of this In Conversation. I'm Isabel Kamariza um, from Rwanda, and I run uh, an organization called Solid Africa. Thank you. As we kick off this conversation, um, we would love to learn about what inspired you or what inspired your journey to begin uh, Solid Africa. I think all started um, when I was studying abroad. Um, so I did my high school here in Rwanda and then for university, I went to Belgium and I was going there to study law, but I didn't really like law. Then on my third year, I had kind of an existential crisis of wondering where my life would be. If it was all about having a job, getting a family, or if there was something else. And I think in my quest of looking for something else, I took the Bible and I read it for three months. And what I understood was at the end of the day, what would be asked of me is what impact did I have on others? Who did I clothe? Who did I feed? And I think that opened up my eyes on really the issues that I was seeing in my community where I was living. And one of the issues was homelessness. I started feeding somebody. So I think what really, 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 really gets me to where I am today is me understanding that, first of all, you don't need money or a lot of things to be able to help somebody. And then the movement grew from people to people. We end up feeding hundreds of homeless people. And then I came back here in Rwanda. And when I came back, I met an amazing woman. Her name is Mama Zuzu. And Mama Zuzu, we were in a prayer group. And I remember every time I would pray for the sick, she used to have like I did a smile and I used to tell her, but Mama says, why do you always laugh when I'm praying? And, and you don't laugh when somebody else is praying. And she told me because I think it's so easy to pray for somebody. It's easy to talk, but the real difference is really to act. And she told me, you know, you're on holiday. Instead of praying for patients, why don't you go and visit one and then come back and praying for that one person, that specific person? And that's what brought me to public hospital. I went to Seashrika, the biggest one here in Kigali, and my life changed. I think that's what brought me to do what I do. From that first visit to a patient, I realized how food was a big issue in hospitals. Mostly is that because public hospitals rely on family and friends, but when you are already in a hospital where you are too far away from, from your home, it's become a big challenge. But already, if you are struggling at home to have nutrition and have appropriate food, then when you're in the hospital, it's even worse. So our idea was, how can we take care of those ones, identifying them, and then give them that food security, that nutrition security that we will be there every day? And we started by feeding, I think it was five people, but with only one meal a day. And now we are feeding 1,400 people with three meals a day that are medically tailored meals. Thank you, Isabel. This is really, really inspiring. Um, when I was doing a bit of research on Solid Africa, I saw that uh, your tagline says food is medicine. Why that tagline? For us doing the work, so there's two, two different things. There's like the food security and there's the nutrition security. You might be food secure. You have food at your plate. You can eat whatever um, and whenever you want. 
but it doesn't mean that you have the appropriate nutrition. And the hashtag of saying food is medicine is actually a whole movement in the world of saying people need to eat food that heals. It's not about eating whatever food you find. Um, and the food is medicine has two components. There's food is medicine when you are not sick, which goes to the prevention of you eating healthy. But there's also food is medicine now as something that is a supplement to the medication that you receive when you are sick that goes with the medically tailored meals. For example, in solid Africa, we have eight different diets. Those one goes to the medically tailored meals, going from no, no salt, no oil. We have some that are liquids for people that are tube fed. And then my favorite one is the breastfeeding mother. We recognize that it's difficult for a new mother to have enough milk if they're only eating three times a day. So we make sure that they have access to food five times a day, putting like hot beverages in between meals. So food is medicine is actually to say, and Rwanda is right in the middle of how can we change the way we are eating? If you've seen the rate of malnutrition that we have in the country, if you are seeing the non-diversification, and I think for us, we can even link it to the fact that as Rwanda, we don't really have a big food culture. Because for us, it's more about eating because you need to eat, but not into the enjoying the food. So that's what we are pushing. And that's why for us, food is medicine is really important. But I think food goes beyond the food is medicine. Food has so many components that sometimes we don't give it to food. Um, but really, that's how we, we, we are positioning ourselves as really true believer, uh, but also true practitioner of the food is medicine kind of approach. You've mentioned in the past plans uh, to fulfill thousands of meals, orders daily, and to date you have expanded to growing your own food on site. So what has the impact of owning more parts of your value chain had on your growth? And what are some of the limitations you faced uh, or are facing as you grow? I think for us, growing the food was the next obvious steps. Today we are producing more than 9,000 meals a day. It's really difficult when you're producing that quantity of meals when you depend now on the fluctuation of the market. It's really difficult to actually do a plan to budgetize. So what happens is that when the, the, the changes of the prices are happening, it means that either you have to have more money or either you are working with the same budget, but then that means that you have to actually decrease the quality of your meals, which we didn't want to go through it. So we started by farming. I think the first thing we farm was beans. And then slowly, slowly, we are integrating almost farming everything from rice to fruits, going into some starches, vegetables. And what we have seen, for example, when there were fluctuation of, the, of some of the prices, and especially also in COVID, is that as our price per meal didn't change, but also going forward in our growth as we are serving more and more patients and, and are planning to actually run more and more kitchens, is we are mapping cooperatives and to be able to work with them. And for them, it's also a fact of knowing that they know exactly they will have a market. So for us, farming was, it was the only way to go to actually have a product uh, that is of quality and that is affordable. Because at the end of the day, our mission as Solid Africa is that our meals has to be affordable, accessible, and affordable to anybody, regardless of your social economical category. As we are growing, we will not be capable of actually farming that amount of food so the only way is to, co to do partnership with cooperatives uh, on top of what we farm, and then we'll continue. This is very impressive. So currently you provide five programs at Solid Africa. Uh, the first one, I think, being Gemura, Food for All, Tiza, Medical Expenses, Gombora Program, Sukura for Hygiene, Menya for Advocacy and Awareness. Was this a natural evolution, and what has guided your growth strategy to date? 
So those programs, those were, I think, not a natural evolution because those were the programs we started with. So when we started in 2010, actually, we spent the whole year going to the hospital on a daily basis and talking to patients before actually we had a mission statement and things like that, what would be the program of our, of our organization to understand what were the pain point of the patient. And for us, the patient, we have to, to actually do it in a holistic way, meaning that if I have given you food, but then you have a prescription because your medicine is not on the list of the public insurance, then at the end of the day, what I want to do with my food and what we do to the medically tailored meals is to be able to speed up your recovery. So that's why we took the issue of the patient in a holistic way. As we are going and as we have grown, what we have found is that food remains the biggest challenges that we have found in public hospital and food is taking up until now, more than 93% of our budget. And that's why we communicate mostly about food. What is good is like, for example, for the program Kiza. Kiza, when we started in 2010 in Kiza, we used to buy a lot of medicine that are not on the list of the insurance. Back in 2010, all the private insurances had to pay 1% of their revenue to the public insurance basket. Now that law have changed from 1% to 5%, which means there were more fund going into public funding. Once that happened, what we have seen is that the medicine that we were covering, because they were not covering covered by the public insurance, now are covered by the public insurance. I'm talking about like medicine that goes into the chemotherapy. I'm talking about heart failure kind of medicine. All of that back then they were not covered and now they are covered, which means that our KISA program is actually dying and we are happy about that is actually dying and we are only taking care of really ad hoc special cases where we can't find the medicine uh, or if there's a special test that they need to do. And then when it comes to other programs like um, Supura Hygiene, one of the biggest programs we were doing was to provide clean drinking water and we had to put three water tanks. But what we are seeing now is that new hospitals that are constructed in Rwanda, they put clean drinking water. And also for that program is that wherever we're going to build a kitchen in a public hospital, clean drinking water will come with that because all our kitchen have clean drinking water. Um, and when, when, now when it comes to advocacy, I think that is just paramount to the work that we are doing. That's what we are doing now with the food is that we are always advocating for the well-being of the patient when they are sick and looking at the interest also for us at the interest also of the money that is being pushed into the, 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 the healthcare system. How can that money be the most efficient way? And we think filling a gap as the food actually strengthens the healthcare system. Um, so what impact do you see the growth uh, having for the organization and the patients you serve in terms of these programs? And you also have plans to extend your operations to other countries, maybe in East Africa or beyond. Um, so for the growth, it's for us for food to be part of the medical stay, ideally, but just food to be part of the routine of the patient. And for that, it's not just the recovery rate that we are targeting, but studies have been made, not in Rwanda, but in other countries, that also medically tailored meals does actually also reduce the readmission rate, especially for people who have chronic diseases and will be back and forth in the hospital on that. But I think having just kitchen and availability then will go also into the emotional well-being of the patient because there's also another study, but even if there were no study, that links actually food and security and not knowing where your meal would come from with rate of depression and anxiety. Um, and when we are talking to your question about any, any plans of extending to East Africa, 
I think we, we, we share this issue with many neighboring countries, some not, but for us, the focus is first Rwanda, is how can we make sure that this issue is solved in Rwanda before jumping to another country? But at the same time, also, it depends on the partnership and who, who will be driving that expansion. Uh, because we do think that our model farm to fork approach is actually proof that we can have good food at an affordable price. We can have a diversification. You can have different menus that won't cost you more. So that's why we think our model can work anywhere. Even in countries like Kenya, we're already in public hospitals. They are feeding people. But the food that they are giving is not in the sense of medically tailored meals, is not in the sense of food is medicine. It's just to say that you have eaten, but it's not actually food that will heal you or help you to heal better. So building on the theme of partnership, uh, what partnerships with stakeholders have you formed or are pursuing to meet the needs um, of your clients? And to be a bit more specific, why is it important to cultivate solutions that include private sector individuals and companies? And uh, what are some more practical examples of private and public collaborations and partnerships that have amplified and advanced the work of Solid Africa? We think that you need the combination of the three to actually have long-lasting societal changes or innovation in the sense that you need really the, the government, the public sector, you need the private sector, and then you need the involvement of the individual So when we started Solid Africa, that's the model, is that when we started, even when we're feeding five people, we wanted just to make sure that first, we are part of the vision, that what we are planning to do, what we were doing already, was going through the bigger vision of the country. How do you create lasting impact is that it has to enter in one vision. So what we did is that even when we're serving a few people, we met with the officials of the different hospitals, of the Ministry of Health, just to see this is us, this is our project. Is it something that the government is working on? Is it in their project? So that was the idea of evolving. The other thing that we have realized is that while involving the private sector, back then what we we noticed is that the private sector was willing to help us, but when they would pledge in terms of cash money, for some of them, it would be difficult to fulfill that. And now that I'm in business, I do understand it better than I understood it back then. Um, but what we did was then to change the strategy and say, instead of going into those companies and ask for money, why don't we target companies that are producing what we need? And that has been our strategy. And what has been, for example, one of our biggest partners is Minimex. Uh, they do maize flour. They started, we started with them in 2011. They were giving us just one bag of maize flour, 25 kgs per month. Uh, now they're giving us one ton and 200 kgs per month as a donation. As we grew our patient, they grew with us. So those are the kind of, kind of strategy. The other part of the individual is that change starts in the heart of the person of the individual. It really starts in a group is that one, two, three people come together and be like, we want to do that, and then it evolves. So the individual is really, really important. And when we started Solid Africa, because we're all volunteer, we were poaching. If I had met Rachel back then, I would have probably pushed her. I would go and post all the smart people. Then when the individual does feel that they are concerned, they bring more people. And that's how we were able to create a whole movement of young people when in the beginning of our 20s. But it was seeing people coming together to try to solve something and then seeing us 13 years after being able to achieve actually what we have put our mind to, I think it's, it speaks really to the, to the heart, I think, of partnerships. 
and how alone is difficult to actually advance. And that the success of Solid Africa is actually a component of so many people that have contributed, so many organizations, so many entities. A lot of time people ask me, so does your government fund you? Because they're looking at funding in money as a government, but if we've been able to actually have them help us with like land in kind, in kind things, helping so many things for us to, to structure how we're gonna scale a lot of meetings and, and feeling that you are in a real partnership. So I think partners are really, really, really important. And the last partnership I'll talk to about, of course, there's like the, the founders, foundation outside, but I think one of our great partnership that we have is with the Imbuto Foundation. Imbuto Foundation, the First Lady Foundation, when we were looking for somebody to invest in us, to build that industrial kitchen, to, to really invest in infrastructure, we couldn't find anybody. We couldn't find somebody to understand. So we were looking for the money for a long time up until we went to Imbuto Foundation and, and really presented our case and how we were stuck. And then having them taking that and say, you know, let us help you to be able to, to fund, to build. And just, I think, the, the, the discussion and feeling that you are building something together. At Ingumoko, our values are the core of what we do daily. And we believe that all the problems of the continent have solutions that already exist on the continent. And we know that our people are a great resource. So what are some of Solid Africa's values and why? We have a lot of values, but I think some that we really highlight, I think the first one is empathy. And that comes from the fact that whatever you are doing, if you do it with empathy, you will always do it well. It doesn't mean that you won't do mistakes, but your, your intentions will always be good. And working in the field that we work with in a hospital, what we don't want to, to enter in is there's a thing that they call compassion fatigue. It's like when you work in an environment that is hard or when there's a lot of issues or problems or things like that, you might get used to that and not feel the urgency anymore or not feel touched. So that's why we really emphasize on that empathy and that also empathy is cultivated, especially for our field officer to go through into talking about empathy, what they feel, what they sense. And sometimes also because patients are the ones who are suffering, they might not be nice to you. So how do you make sure that you keep being nice when sometimes they are not? And you have to understand because they are the one suffering. So, so the empathy is a thing that we do, but all, not only in our relationship to the patient, but also in our relationship to our colleagues in our relationship to, to our stakeholder, to always have that empathy in mind. The other thing that we really emphasize in is on the dignity, the dignity of our patient. And that's why in Solid Africa, you will not see us advertising our patient fundraising by sharing pictures or sharing things like that. Any patient that is either on our website or either in one of our communication, a patient that have healed went back home. And then when they are comfortable, when they're in a, their Sunday clothes, when they feel like, you know, they're on top of their game, then we can have an interview. But we don't want to, to show the most vulnerable place where they've been and be that that it's out there. So dignity is really important. We are not fundraising, selling their sad story to be able to have the, the funds to drive that. As we are doing is really working with the patient and working with any stakeholders to make sure that they have appropriate nutrition, one, the last one, which is sustainability. Sustainability is always what we aim for and everything that we are doing or when we plan our strategies to see how are we putting sustainability in everything that we do. 
As a leader in the social enterprise space, uh, your work has been recognized far and wide, from features on CNN, awarded as Sirgua, uh, or Celebrating Young Rwandan Achievers Award by the Ibuto Foundation, um, that is the organization of the Rwandan First Lady, as you earlier mentioned. You've also been recognized as a Young African Women Leaders Forum Award by Michelle Obama, and you're also one of the Young World Ambassador and Forbes Women Africa, um, and you received the award, and the list goes on. So with these so many milestones that you've passed, what is your proudest achievement to date? Yes, thank you so much. I think my proudest achievement to date is the fact that in the last 13 years, since the day we started feeding those five patients, we never missed a day. For me, that's the biggest achievement. And when I, when I feel, I would say, when I feel down or when I'm struggling with that thing, that is the biggest achievement for me that gives me strength and push me to continue is that whatever challenges we have faced in the last 13 years, we always overcome them. And even if when we didn't have the money or the car or whatever we needed to be able to deliver, we still delivered. For me, that's the biggest achievement. And I think for the, for the prize and things like that, for the recognition, no one goes into this work thinking about those. I think those recognitions really are there just to comfort us as Solid Africa, to say that you've, you are seen in the work that you are doing and that you have people that do understand the work that you are doing. Great. Um, so Isabel, as we close this conversation, I would like to ask you, to shine a little bit of light on an organization or an individual whose work is making a difference in the lives of their community um, that you really look up to? So I think the first one, it's a woman called Delphine Wamahoro. So Delphine has an organization called Our Sister Opportunity, and they are based in Gakenge. And what she does is really amazing. That's where she's from. Her mom was a teacher there. And really, she took all the women and girls in her community and give them skills. And it's, it's just beautiful because it's done professionally. They do clothing. They have a millet. They have many businesses. And the girls are confident. The women are confident. And to see somebody coming back to their community after seeing the world and having position, she worked also for an international organization. And then to come back and build something, for me, so inspiring. And she went back to where she, she's from, where she grew up. The other one uh, is called Sandra Marembo of a woman called Nicolette. And Nicolette inspires me because she was a lawyer. And then she met somebody one day, a young girl who was homeless, who was 11 years old, and it changed her whole life. She has built something where she takes actually young women that are homeless or don't have any family support. And then she, she brings them in that center. She gives them social economical uh, help. She gives them therapists. She, really, she brings them back to life. Some of them have children. She teaches them how to take care of the children. And then she tries to actually reintegrate those women into the society, either if they still have a family, if they want to go to school. And that's why she only takes women before they are 18 years old. Uh, she deals also a lot with teen, teen pregnancies kind of cases. I think those are the two, but there are many more. Thank you very much, Isabel. Um, thank you for sharing with us uh, the great work that Solid Africa is doing. We commend it. Thank you. At Ingomoko, 
We're dedicated to empowering entrepreneurs across Africa with the tools, resources, and knowledge they need to flourish in today's competitive business landscape. Now we're bringing that passion to this podcast, taking you on a journey through inspiring stories from around the globe.